0: West West show. Driving over here.
1: How I many did I see? <laughs> <clears throat> Probably a good fifty, I'd say.
0: Mm. On the road too, as well. Fifty saw cars,
1: a, not flags. Cars oh, with flags.
0: Yeah. yeah. Sharks. I, I see. I see a lot, eh? But I, I'm always because I'm always around here, and I see a lot. And I think, man, it must be <clears throat> every single car in South Auckland because yeah. I haven't been out there during this time so uh, I, can oh, imagine, I can imagine i can't imagine how many <laughs> just on that um
1: <laughs> i saw that there's a there's a call for a britomart parade britomart parade so i i threw it out there that um it's just central and west Auckland hummels yeah trying to avoid south side <laughs> <laughs> by calling a britomart one
0: mm. i right know yeah at west we, we just organized one in 24 hours so the Facebook thing went out. I I saw two days ago, and now it's an event now. So apparently, the, the our local board wanted to see how many numbers there were, and there, a, and there were like a lot of people. So they decided to throw in. So they're doing a, a fan zone at um, Pass Park. Oh and really? Yeah, fan nice. zone at Pass Park, and there's gonna be uh, so a screen a to play the game. I, no. I think so. I didn't see that part. I think so.
1: And there's a couple outside. Mm. Otara and uh, Mangere have
0: you, have, have you seen them? Have you been up there?
1: No, no, I know that they're planning to do a screening of the game mm. at 5am <laughs> there's no alcohol So right. all the drinkers will drink at home and watch the game at home And then sit, join the celebrations after Yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. mean, win or lose, it's going to be a celebration for sure
0: I mean, man Just uh the logistics of it all eh, and the whole organization of all these <clears> parades, yeah. Like it's good, like, I found it good that when I saw that the local board approved all these things out west, and mm. it was good for them, It was good for local boards to, to recognize what's going on and yeah. do it and do it for that.
1: Awesome. I even saw a massive flag on the KPMG building, oh, yeah, in town, uh. in the CBD. So, well done to uh, Matthew Pritchard and the KPMG team over there, yeah, Francis Manuel as well. You had something to do with that, of course. So yeah, um, it was really nice, really nice gesture by the community. Obviously, our team New Zealand's not in there. So, who else can they support? <laughs> They're not going to support Aussie. <laughs> so, everyone's supporting Samoa. Oh that was the comment at my, my work,
0: or the or the in my work. Is that right? Saying, uh, everyone's going to support Samoa because you know yeah. no one's going to support the Aussies yeah. <laughs> <laughs> by default. Yeah, by default, but um. Yeah, so saw, all, all, you know, um, you know, vortex, Yeah. They got their office and that overlooks the motorway. They've put their Samoan flag up Have as they? well. Yeah.
1: They've got heaps of Samoan workers so they might as well.
0: Yeah. They've got the New Zealand Warriors flag, New Zealand flag and the Samoan flag now.
1: Big money, that that company?
0: A New Zealand company, yeah. New mm. Zealand family. Yeah. They, I think they own part of the Warriors though.
1: Yeah, they do. Mm. Mm.
0: And uh, yeah, like I heard the owners are big Rugby league dude. Yeah, he is. He's got some hands and punchy pirates.
1: What is it that they do? They um, they have something to do with kind of uh, like uh, soundproofing. Well, they're uh, I think they're the construction they're, as well. They. Eh? Well,
0: they're the competitors to Pink Uh ah, So they do all right. the insulation, the insulation. Quiet, quiet stuff and green stuff, and plus they do right. like um, pin boards, some oh, yeah. some wall linings, like yeah. the insulation stuff. Yeah. So now they're. I think because because the amount work we deal with them, all pink bats, pink bats Australian, mm. from Australia, and it all takes it from here. So support your local, I guess.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Any uh, predictions for the game?
0: Mm. I I said this eighteen twenty two to, to Samoa. Wow. Yeah, I think it's gonna be a tight one because if if anything. Those two semifinals were were tight games, and I think that um, the Kiwis sort of gave the the blueprint of how to beat Australia because yeah. they they busted them down. Mm. All, all, all all wasn't what was not in Kiwis' favour that they ran on the gas. I felt mm. at the end.
1: Yeah, you know. I've seen a few, a couple of um, posts online. Aussie commentators m- making an excuse like that. Oh yeah, what did he say? The built-in excuse. <laughs> That Aussie haven't really fired this World Cup and, you know, they were exposed against New Zealand and Cleary hasn't played to his full potential yet, which is true about Cleary, but he he admitted that himself. And I do think he'll have a good game, but I just wonder if Luai and the boys will have a better game.
0: Well, Luai especially, he's been under Cleary's shadow for mm. a couple of years now, and, yeah. you know, for Penrith, but in saying that, like even Cleary's performance in New South Wales hasn't been like as great as he is for Penrith. Mm. Still, eh. I mean, he had that one good game when they when New South Wales won game one, but then he has hasn't been.
1: I think what Laurie has as an advantage against Cleary, though, he knows how he plays. He knows how to troll him. <laughs> Whereas Cleary's not necessarily a troll. He focuses on his own game and why he's that good that he can troll his opposite and i love that about him <laughs> well, a lot he's the of cla- people get feels about it but
0: he's the classic american style athlete they eh? think about it that way because they're into all that mind games and trash talking and mm. getting getting the, the opposition's head before the game starts mm. you know Th- that's part of the battle eh? that's half of the battle sometimes that is, eh? yeah and he he plays into that like beautifully i think
1: i love he, how he brings that into the game the banter the trolling mm. loves it Especially when, you know, uh, I think Sever Reese does it really well with Canterbury and mm. All Blacks. You mm. know, when there's a good moment or the positives, they put their stamp on it and make it so enthusiastic to come and celebrate, over celebrating. Mm. Hey, eh? that's what uh, Sever Reese does really well. And Louis does that really well as well. And it puts the opposition, the opposition yeah, especially the totally. fans. Totally does. <laughs> if only the whole team does it. If the whole team celebrates every try like that, just mm. celebrate, celebrates over celebrates like that, I think that can be really demoralising for the other side. Well, I think
0: um, in their row they do that anyway. Hey, eh? to mm. a point, to they they do it every time some some scores a try. They, they everyone's jumping on each other. Mm. The Penrith do it overboard more. Yeah, eh?
1: Penrith they do it mm. overboard more than anyone. <laughs> yeah, and especially the way. Anyway. <laughs> 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 those two.
0: And that's got a. That's like a dig to the opposition yeah, there. It you is. Do that totally.
1: And anyway, I think it works. It works there. It totally works. Mm. Imagine like walking back to the posts to, to take your stance <laughs> and all you see is the opposition just. <laughs> Suck <on> them at.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Eat it. <coughs> You know, you touched on how, how we thought in New Zealand. Mm. I think we need to go that way. Eh? Yeah. I think we need to go that way. Because we see enough of it on social media, on TV. And if you're a fan of American sports, you see it all the time over there. Yeah. And it's sort of uh, encouraged to do that. And that's why I think they don't get any tall poppy syndrome over in America. Mm. Hey, I mean, you've been over there. You, yeah. You, 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 well, what's the difference with, all... the, with how people compete over there in sports?
1: Americans are all about their big play when it comes to their sports. As a player, they, they want to be the person who made that massive play, whether it be uh, sacking the quarterback or an intercept that led, led to a touchdown or even throwing the touchdown pass. They want to be that guy because, you know, those moments, the Americans, they savor those moments forever. And as a fan, you go, you get these season tickets just to watch those moments. That's where I think the difference is. They're all about moments within the game even though from the outside looking in as a as a fan of other sports you look at the NFL and you think too many stop starts far too many stop starts and the game's just too long it drags and drags and drags but that's what they're looking for those moments that's why they train as they do that's why they put in all the resources that they do have all the facilities because they want to chase that glory of the one moment within a the game, that they, they, you know, Ray Lewis is, you know, he's he's probably a really good example of chasing moments, sacking, sacking, and creating a fumble, then grabbing the ball and going all the way. That, as a, I guess, a defensive person, that's the dream: to sack a quarterback, create the fumble, pick it up, and go to the touch. It's awesome. In New Zealand, I think uh, over here we, or, or the rest of the world, the way it uh, differs is we're all about the process. We're all about making sure that the process is done right and everything along the way showcases our skill, but also we get the result and we're humble about it. The Americans are total opposite. They're not humble about their results at all. Mm. They live off that, that banter that, you know, we kicked your ass. You guys are shit. <clears throat> the Americans love that. But, you know, over here we're all about, We I think we've enjoyed success so much in sports that we're good at that we tend to listen to outside voices telling us, be humble, be humble. Actually, no, don't. You don't need to be humble. Just conduct yourself in a professional way. <laughs> I mean, you're allowed to celebrate.
0: I thought you were going <clears> to say <throat> because we've achieved so much success, especially with the All Blacks, that we don't need to be. Yeah, and we've like you think of the All Blacks. The, they're like the most winningest team in history of every any other sport in the world. Any other team, right? So because we're we grew up with that, yeah. and everyone and the previous generations growing up with that. Gen- generations have grown <clears throat> up with that sort of statistic and, and the aura of the all blacks like we don't need to be nah. until f- until things the wheels start falling off which i think in foster has kind of yeah helped <laughs> help with that <laughs> but i think this is the first time especially this season with the all blacks that the new zealand public is you know they're angry mm. you know and i've never seen this kind of especially with the first time when we lost those two games to ireland this year I've never seen the um yeah. public so angry at the coach yeah. since um John Hart yeah. lost us the World Cup that time.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> poor Fozzie. He's uh he's taken some of the heat off the other side of New Zealand, which is politics and how a lot of people are, you know, having a go at Ardern and blaming her for a lot of things. Um Fozzie is getting that same treatment when it comes to all blacks and sport. Because he's seen as, you know, the Obama of sports in New Zealand. He's seen as the the top guy, the the world leader, you know, the voice. And the most powerful job in the country, which arguably so. Yeah, I, I agreed to that. Um, and he knows the pressure that comes with it. And he knows the results he has to produce because of it. So, you know, good luck to the boys. Good luck to Fozzy and the All Blacks. They've got England. Don't know how they'll do, because it's it's always a weird one that game against England, because it's only ever around this time of year, unless they're in New Zealand.
0: Yeah, yeah, and we and we never have consistent games with them. As yeah, well, they? Like we get the World Cup and then one game maybe during the in between. <laughs> one or always, two games in between.
1: It's always part of our November tour, right? And. I don't know if we necessarily have our best team at those tours but you know they're definitely coming off some some good competitions those uh the english mm. and you know they're, they're international game ready so i don't know whether that's an advantage or not but i think um the real gauge is the world cup because everyone's under the same circumstances mm. same conditions and you know you you can't really complain about the time of year because everyone's you know there during those several weeks. Um, exciting times.
0: Have you seen the did you see the All team? What was your first re- reaction? Because that, that that was their top team. They said that's like going to be the best. Yeah, I think it, I think
1: they can put out possibly the top team. Um, I'm I'm still not a fan of um scott barrett at six
0: mm. a lot of people aren't they and i've heard some people are
1: i mean uh. I'm, I'm a fan of him but <clears throat> i'm not 100 100 percent sure having him at six at the expense of someone else is the way but whatever gets us that w i guess
0: <clears throat> well that comes from the um Utility kind of mindset, eh? Yeah. The back survey, eh? Like yeah. Someone that can play two positions or more. You know
1: who was a big proponent of the utility mindset was Laurie Maines. He loved that. He loved having a guy that could play more than one position. Um, but now that we're starting to see that with Fozzie, it's like, are you trying to get rid of specialists in certain positions or are you trying to promote utility players? Like I'm, I'm a big fan of utility players because I think it means uh, someone with different <laughs> skill sets and different positions mm. has more time in the jersey. I mean, it's not about the player, but there are certain players that I'd like to see spending more time in the jersey, whether they're out of position or not. Like Rog, I'd love to see Rog back in there somewhere. If 12's not his spot right now, put him somewhere else. Give him a shot somewhere else um obviously there's good players all across the park, but try them out
0: do you think it matters whether you're in the backs or the forwards? The utility thing counts because it seems like all the criticisms come in the the forwards if someone plays you know if someone's floating around they'll they'll lose forward positions six seven eight you know
1: you see the problem the problem I see with this particular scenario with Scott Barrett playing six. At the expense of, say, Akira, or um, who else is there? Who else? Oh, Frizell, who's on the bench. I think the 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 thing about that is Frizell and Akira haven't obviously cemented their spot as a six, or established themselves as the elder out, out six. Here I am. I'm ready to be the next Jerome Colonel right? None of them have. They'll have spells where they're great. They'll have moments where they do really well. But in terms of consistency, the way, you know, Jerome Kainold had, there's, uh, I, I don't think of anybody in that, in that team, in their collective that, you know, comes to mind when, it, you know, you think who's going to be the next Jerome. None of them yet. Yeah. Like there's different skill sets that, Uh, Akira brings to the table he's got some great skill different skill set that Frizzell brings to the table there's pure grunt and then you've got um, Scott Barrett who's just a workhorse Um, and I wonder if that's the criteria that Fozzie and the likes have picked him on whether you know the Barrett brothers play well when they're all on the field together or whether they're trying to chase some milestone or whatever I don't know. I don't know what uh Fozzie's planning there. But obviously we've put a our trust into him for another couple of years.
0: It's different to what the the rest of them are doing it. Eh? Like the normal Northern, Hemis- Northern Hemisphere teams pretty much put their this this specialist player in there eh? Rather mm. than They've moved away from their utility kind of thing. Yeah. Eh?
1: Yeah, the normal the Northern Hemisphere players they They come from, you know, the Heineken Cup comps, the premiership. They come from all those comps. And I think um, right now it's looking like they have more competition for positions. It's just looking that way because there's a lot more good young players coming through. Whereas I don't feel the same way with New Zealand. New Zealand's got some, I guess, some senior players who probably need to move on soon. Um, we've enjoyed having them and watching them over the years and they've done really well. They were young players and now they've become the senior players of the team. Maybe they need to look offshore to let the next ones come through.
0: Mm. Yeah. Because I don't know if the our system's going to change or evolve <clears throat> the, the, uh, the way NZI has their rules with players that play here playing Super Rugby get picked for blacks mm. <clears throat> I know you know South Africa and Australia have evolved their rules and yeah. you can go play overseas and still play for us you know but I always thought that in norm- Normans' hemisphere they'll be struggling to get their players and because their positions have been taken up by overseas guys like a lot of Kiwis a lot of South Africans you know South African yeah. players go over there and play for these teams and the English when the Irish guy gets you know Gets left on the bench. I
1: suppose that's the risk, eh? And um, it's the same for any employment anywhere in the world. If your position, or if you've got a position in a company that can only be done by a certain person who just happens to be based offshore and you bring them in to service that role, you have to think obviously there's no one locally that can do it until you've established that there isn't anyone locally that can do it, then that should be the go-to. That should be okay to bring someone offshore. Just like rugby, you know, Matt Giddo. I believe he was still good enough to, you know, command a spot in the Australian team when he was being brought back. I don't know if they named the rule after him. (laughs) The Matt Giddo rule. Yeah, the Matt Giddo rule, yeah. Yeah, so players like him, world class deserves a spot um, based offshore and they brought him back in that's I think that's just because there wasn't anyone locally who could do as good a job as him which fair play to Australia you know worked out
0: yeah so the All Blacks England playing I think 6.30 tomorrow right? so that, I think yeah. they all overlapped uh, yeah. the Tours game yeah by half an hour I guess
1: so that game will be going, the All Blacks England game will be going. And whether or not Amo will win, that might be I don't know. Might wanna catch the, the replay of that All Blacks game.
0: <laughs> yeah. If you're yeah. if
1: you're a Tor Salmo supporter.
0: Well I'm I'm predicting I'm predicting Tor gonna win. And you know, I'm I'm ready for it. I should have took Monday off. <laughs> But now I go all, all day. We got all day tomorrow to celebrate, celebrate the win. Yeah, man. This whole week, like, I mean, like the last three weeks doing the MCAT clip, the podcast, thinking about things to talk about, you can't even talk about anything else, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> you, can't. You,
1: you just can't. You, you can't.
0: It's Tor Samuel. Tor Samuel. You know.
1: I was thinking about that this week as well. I was thinking far up. Any other normal week that Tor Samuel's not playing in the grand final. What would we have been doing? You wouldn't see the flags, that's for sure. You would see the odd one here and there, but you wouldn't see it the way that we've seen it this whole week. No, you wouldn't. Every day, beep 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 beep. <laughs> it's like even in Hamilton, City of the Future, yeah. there's flags there, but not as not as prominent as they are here. It's like wow. But then you there's can, not just
0: here too; around the world, you know. It's like I, I saw that on social media. There's a, like a poster that's yeah. listing all the parades around the world. Yeah, have you seen that. Ah. There's a list for New Zealand, Australia, USA. Oh, really? Right. Yeah. and other, awesome. Other. And they've got Dubai and oh, awesome. places like that. But the USA one was cool because there's a whole lot of cities in there doing parades. So.
1: Oh, yeah. And just on that, uh, big shout out to my USO, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, <laughs> for uh, doing a five-minute shout out to the More <coughs> boys. And I thought it was quite inspirational, that speech that he did. It looked like he was in his um you know those makeshift gyms he does when he's filming a movie. Eh? Yeah. 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 <laughs> he takes he gets him to build a marquee for him and put gym, uh, gym equipment in there just for him. Yeah, That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's any wonder why he's in great shape. Um and also Daniel Vito was another one. Mm. He's in the WWE. Daniel, shout out to you. You did a um a post on Instagram. Someone someone else who's led the you know, the torso more hacker. I think he was captain as well at one point. Mm. So great to see Daniel doing well. Um yeah, just just having people like that, you know, add that you know, add those kind of personal touch type messages mm. that will really G up the boys. Yeah. So hopefully the boys are, you know, obviously focused and on point. But um I'm like you, I, I think they'll win. I think Til Tor more will win. I think they'll rise to the occasion. But they'll also, this is another thing that I, I like to, I always say, don't rise to the occasion, fall to your level of preparation. Don't rise to
0: the occasion. See, it's a different mindset, fall right? To your level of preparation. Yeah, so. I was going to break that
1: down. So, what it basically means is rather than rising to the occasion all the time, which means you're coming from a standpoint of being under something, right? And rising, be up there. In your mind, you're already up there and you fall to your level of preparation. So your level of preparation has prepared you for that thing, that mountain, that nirvana, that you know, mm. that that goal. And because you've prepared so well for it, you just fall to that level of preparation rather than in your mindset, rather than always coming from a level of, I'm over here, I haven't done that yet, and I'm going to rise to the occasion on the day for that performance. If you know, you've prepared well, <laughs> if you've prepared well, then you're ready for it. Even Michael Jordan says it. The only reason why he made those shots look so easy and so cold in his words, he he'd done them a thousand times in training and in, in practice. They call it practice over there. They don't like to use the word training.
0: Training's like um, doing dumbbells and all that over there. Mm. But no, I don't think yeah. You know what? I should snip that out and put that up there <laughs> and, and tag in the Tozawa and you put that, that. up there. I actually stole that.
1: I stole that from Chris Voss, who's the FBI negotiator. You don't uh, rise to the occasion, you fall to your level of preparation.
0: Mm.
1: That's a nice way to think of it.
0: And you know how we're talking about the, the, the American sports culture? Hmm. That's, that is their mentality, eh? To a yeah. TA. I mean, he's just saying what everyone in america already knows i think Or the, the athletes know yeah you know yeah and man i i always i have this conversation with um with yash because because he because he's at school he's coaching kids in there. Right. and he's been to america too so he he sees the difference how the kids perform mm. here especially in practice or trainings and that like he talks about them not playing hard <laughs> Because the the tall poppy syndrome comes into effect. Because kids are saying, why why are you being serious? Mm. What a serious guy. Mm. That kind of talk. Mm. eh? That in America, there's no such thing. They go, hey, that's normal. I'm supposed to be serious. Kind of thing. So it's
1: It's that mentality. I think it's because Americans treat it like a religion. Mm. Sport. They're so fanatical about their sport. And you can tell by the teams that they support. Their team—that's their team for life. They get tattoos on their hands and everything, just to do with their team, and they have fights. Just kind of, kind of similar to the, the hooligans in uh, football in the in the UK. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So
1: fanatical about their teams. Mm. If you ever say anything bad about their teams and their supporters are around, man, good luck to you. <laughs> Some of the worst supporters I've seen in London <laughs> on the trains. Mm. If you if you're wearing opposition colours and you know you're on a train full of the opposition, good luck. Mm. The least you'll get is abuse, verbal abuse.
0: Yeah. What's what's the fan? What's is it like between the Chelsea fans and the 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 Arsenal fans?
1: All the London uh, teams hate each other. All oh, right. With a passion. Right. Chelsea, <laughs> Arsenal, Tottenham, QPR they all hate each other with a passion and then you have the regional teams like Everton and uh, Liverpool they hate each other so they're all part of Merseyside up north and Manchester they fight amongst themselves United and City so everyone hates each other but I guess depending on which part of England you're from you hate you know you hate certain teams more but The whole, I guess, everyone or every team that I know in England hates Millwall. Millwall is seen as a team to hate because they have the worst fans. They have the most aggressive, vigilante-type fans. Honestly, they have the worst fans, Mm. Millwall. Did you experience? Great great entertainment, though, for someone who's a rugby man that's just watching from the outside in.
0: Did you experience the game or did you go there and then? No, that, I didn't actually.
1: I've been to um football stadiums to play rugby, but I haven't actually uh, watched any football games. Just NFL in the States. Yeah
0: yeah.
1: But yeah, it's uh it was definitely an experience.
0: Yeah, I think um yeah, I think it's it's interesting to s- to s- experience and hear different sports cultures in different countries. Because you compare it to here, and I think, you know, we we are like a, a conservative sort of sports have a sports mm. culture. Like we don't have much stories. We do have stories, but we don't entertain them. Mm. You know, like the the in USA they're like big on that sort of thing. Quite like you saying, like any kind of story, they'll they'll make a documentary out. Of, you know,
1: massive. They love the, They love their stories over there in the states.
0: But they've got all the footage too. Mm. I mean, when when you saw that Last Dance documentary, the hum, all that footage was from footage just going along mm. during the time, right? Yeah. <coughs> Behind the scenes, even the ones with with the, in the changing rooms with Michael Jordan playing playing with the mm. <laughs> playing dice with the um, mm. with the security, like footage of that. Like you'll never New Zealand New Zealand rugby will never have that kind of footage in mm. any kind of changing room or. Thing in the past there, so there. we don't have the footage to make those kind of stories.
1: Yeah, I think it's um, it's a sad part of our reality here in New Zealand.
0: But this is it's it? sad because we're now seeing what other countries are doing, and we can see the potential why they have such a sporting culture. Because in America, like what it does, it makes people spend money. Because mm. when you're passionate so much, you'll spend money, and, yeah. and so. And and plus, I love how, like, it's not not even the fans spending money on their teams. It's even the, even commercially, like, um, like pubs or bars, Mm. like they have nights where the game's on and everybody, the whole town comes Mm. to the pub and watch the game. You know, you're spending money at the pub, Yeah, you know, and then other sports bars pop up because they want to get that. So it's, Mm. you know, it's all part of it. But over here, we don't have that kind of thing, eh? We don't have the big event like um, I think Adi Severe was he said an article. He said an article recently about he, New Zealand should have a big events for for games. Have a, a tailgating thing. Yeah. Have um, food trucks. Have come two hours before the game and you know, have a concert mm. and that and stuff like that. But um,
1: yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a part of the American sports culture that I miss the tailgating part of things. Because it, it adds to the experience, right? Mm. It adds to the experience of the whole, you know, and they make a whole day of it. They don't just say, oh, I'm going to go to the game and we're going to go do these other things. No, you actually base your whole day around that game. Mm. Tailgating, pregame, go to a local bar after the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's just the done thing. That's why all the bars do well over there. Yeah. Whereas over here, two years tops
0: there's liquor bands here and can't drink out of the cup.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. Mm. So,
0: and plus, you know, like I think like, sports are always calling for money. Like the government has to fund them. You know, there's no money in New Zealand basketball. Yeah. You know, but if they, if they were to change the, change, if they were, if they were to change the sporting culture in New Zealand and mimic something like America, like you won't need to ask ask for money because the people will be supporting it. Like yep. you make people so proud of the team that they'll spend money. Like in the even in the club teams, like in in club rugby. You know, no, no one's gonna go to the club games unless you're unless you played for that team in the past or or your or your yes or your or, yes. or, or your family's <coughs> playing. So you only get the families there. You don't really get the whole community mm. like
1: and the same for the same for the likes of the women's teams like Mm. black friends as well
0: Mm.
1: you're not going to go watch a black friends game but i'm taking ourselves 10 years now you back then you weren't going to go watch a women's team or a black friends game unless you knew someone in the team Mm. unless you know you had something to do with the team (laughs) right so now it's like shucks there's actually other reasons to go watch a black friends game and enjoy and be a part of that experience one because it's entertaining rugby mm. and it kind of has what is lacking in the men's game you know that flair that you don't know who's going to win kind of thing mm. you know unless it's a it's a drubbing um, point in case it was the Black Ferns, the, the first day of the World Cup, Black Ferns against Australia. Probably the, yeah, first time I've ever been to a Black Ferns game. Right. And it was quite the experience.
0: That was the opening match,
1: huh? Opening match. Yeah. So you, you had England smash Fiji before the, the Black Ferns game and then there was another game before that. But, um, yeah, it was... Uh, it was quite an experience to see the Black Ferns playing that brand of rugby, and it was awesome. They weren't scared to try things, as well as the English as well. You know, it's like the English are a bit of a powerhouse, and they they the way they went through Fiji that day. It was like, oh yeah, they'll be at the final, and we weren't so sure about the Black Ferns because they struggled a little bit against Australia in that first game.
0: Especially the last two years eh, like
1: of COVID. Yeah, so they were getting beaten 17-0, but then 41 unanswered points to make it 41-17 as a final score. That was awesome to see. To see them getting hammered in the first minutes of the game by Australia and then coming back and beating them the way they did, that was awesome. That made me go, the way they did that and came up with that win... I will definitely pay money to watch another game.
0: Yeah. Yeah. that um, You're right. Those those last two games, especially with the Black Friends that, against France that went down to the wire and they won because they missed a the kick, you know, and then same sort of thing happened when mm. they hit their line out right on the oh. Black Friends line and the hand of... It's called it the hand of... God. Yeah, that's awesome, <laughs> man.
1: Like... I remember watching that moment thinking, holy shit. Mm. They just broke a streak with a line out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> by contesting the line out because they normally wouldn't have. They would have let it go and tried to contest the rolling mall. That, but, you know, obviously, the uh, I believe the call came from Wayne Smith to, to, to contest, contest the lineup yeah. at the front. What a call that was.
0: You had to, They anyway, won the World Cup. They won. Yeah. But you had to try you had to try you it. had
1: to take a take a risk
0: because there was a high chance that um, what do they call it the white anaconda <laughs> the white anaconda would have happened there. yeah England would have won the they game they were but
1: they were smashing us all game mm. with that but there were a couple of big girls that came on in the dying stages of the game they were awesome yeah the impact that they had on the you know the dying moments of the game it was needed because they stopped a couple of those rolling moles. It was like, shit, that's awesome. It just seemed like those rolling balls were unstoppable. Mm. And I've always I've always maintained throughout the years, the rolling ball is the, the most unutilized weapon that a rugby team has. It's underrated, and as you saw of England, undefeated. Mm. You can always use it to suck in players. You can always use it to, you know... Put your team off the, your opposition off of um, their game plan because it just keeps sucking in defenders. Mm. And how you com- get, get midrage.
0: Com- how come teams don't use that much? Because I, I know, I know, I know the Brumbies always always use it.
1: Because I think it's because they um, they prefer to run it. They prefer to use their backline skills to create space out wide Mm. and get you know those people out wide to get the space by running it (coughs) but it's so underutilized like the only international team that's done it consistently over the years is south africa right we may use it against the all blacks it's unstoppable as well they've scored tries off it so I'm a big fan of the rolling war. hope it never goes away. Yeah. And I hope they, you know, as much as I am a fan of rugby league, I hope they don't keep bringing rugby league rules to, to rugby just to make it more entertaining. There's other ways to make it more entertaining.
0: Yeah. I'm not a big fan of that. Their version of the 2040. Yeah. Uh, the, oh, the, the 4020.
1: What, what do they call it? 5020, 20, I think. 5020. Yeah. Something like that. 5022. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I love it when it's our team that are benefiting <laughs> of it, but... Oh, well. That yeah. dropout, yeah, was that just Super Rugby where the dropout was in play?
0: Uh, it wasn't Super Rugby, yes, but I think that that was just a trial, right? I think, oh, it was just a trial.
1: I don't know, but um,
0: yeah, but um, you know, we're talking about the the back friends, like you know how women's rugby has grown ever since the World Cup, this mm. World Cup started mm. started this year. You know, if I could unpack all that, like because the thing is, like, how do we make the women's game? More accessible to the public, or more, or more popular, because, you know, the if you take the World Cup out of it, is it still going to be the same? But I think one of the fa- the factors was Ruby Tui, because she's man the way she, the she's, way she is herself, you know, just her personality, yeah. her, just her own personality, <laughs> Yeah. like she's just hers herself, <clears throat> like no, she's awesome. Don't even have to have like. Don't even worry about the 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 media training they give, you know, because she's one I think she's one of the reasons why it's popular too. Like mm. she's brought more fans yeah. in the way she acts really? in that. Like
1: I think um, they need more players like that. Mm. Club level, NPC level, international level. They need more players like that who have the Ruby Tui energy mm. and can bring that to a team. Because even though she has that awesome energy, like in interviews, um, when a game's over, she can um, G up her team and they can do some on Bessies as well. I think if you have more players like that, it just makes it more enjoyable for the fan who watches. So I was enjoying every moment. I was like, far out, that's awesome. And to see, you know, her sharing her culture with her teammates, and them, like, singing the, that Samoan song as part of their celebrations. It's awesome to see. Also, um, the fact that she is professional as a player. Like, you watch her on the, on the, on the, during the games. She's not an asshole. She actually, like, g's up the opposition as well. She'll um, be compassionate in those moments because she's a professional. She knows, and uh, I think that energy is definitely something that New Zealand rugby needs to try and harness, try and get more of out of other players.
2: Hmm.
0: Oh, do something different! Don't be not transparent like they 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 used to be doing there. Eh? Like yeah, like be, like, be more involved with the comu- I think community, of, I guess, in the in a different kind of way.
1: I think a lot of a lot of the reason why we don't see many other Ruby toys or haven't seen other Ruby, Ruby toys about is. Because there is that fear, you know, just like in the workplace, there's a fear that if you're if you are yourself, and you bring your own personality to the workplace, like for Ruby Tui, she brings her personality to the workplace. I think there has been that stigma and that fear that if you bring your personality to the workplace, you'll be seen as, you know who the hell does that person think she is? You know, who, who does she think she is coming over here and acting the way she does? She's so stupid. Like, that's so unprofessional. When in actual fact, that helps build the team morale. Yeah. Totally. You know, it's like the team see her with her energy around them. It's like far up. How can you not be positive around that type of a person?
0: You know when you're comparing that to like, um, say... Say corporate uh, New Zealand, mm. right? Like who talks like that in the wearing a suit, wearing a tie, in the board meetings, class sort of thing, right? It's like there's certain um, etiquettes mm. uh, to things being professional in business, or, yeah, yeah, or being in that environment, like to um, to come in and talk like how you talk at home, yeah. Like, is, is, do you think that kind of thing is changing?
1: It's totally changing.
0: Like people are being more, like even with emails. Like you know, there's a thing about emails. But then when you do the LOL in the email, (laughs) it's not really
1: like a. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of adding (coughs) adding your personality to emails and and to the workplace because people value authenticity. You know, they value genuine people, genuine conversations. They don't value fake people value if you're yourself.
0: So who are these people? Are these people the next generation that are valuing this now? Or are these is this got to do with
1: I think people in general. I think people in general. So let's say you're in a you're in a workplace scenario where you've got a C-level exec, you've got a chief of this, chief of that, right? And then you've got the normal workers and you know, let's say the chief of chief financial officer walks through the office or walks through the workplace and everyone immediately starts thinking, oh, shit, I need to be professional because I'm about to talk to the chief financial officer. Whereas the workplace that I would like to see is chief financial officer breaks the ice with the workers and says, hey, and starts being themselves rather than than what people's perception of a chief financial Officer, officer should be. And then the workers can be more relaxed and, feel a certain type of way towards the C-level exec. By doing that, the, the chief financial officer has now opened their eyes to other C-level executives, thinking, they're humans. The CFO has just humanised the situation. That could have been, you know, seen as too formal. Oh, I better not talk to you in a certain way, because you might take it the wrong way. I better not throw any banter to you about your sports team, Mr CFO. Because I might, you know, be up for personal grievance or something like that. So I think in the workplace there is there is boundaries, there's limits, and there's uh, you know ways that you can get through to anybody in the business without coming across as disruptive. There's ways to throw banter about. Um, we just don't know how to do it. You know, and there's there's also ways to um, stop things from happening, stop toxic behavior from happening. Again, we just don't know how to do it. Because a lot of us, we tend to fall back on what we know, which is direct threats. <laughs> if you rub me the wrong way, I'm going to threaten you. Yeah. <laughs> right? So... There is professional ways of doing that without, you know, well, with you know, and you cover your own ass by saying certain things to certain people, especially when those people are being dickheads too. I think there are certain tools that you can use within the workplace, within the team environment as well, because banter can get too much. Banter can get into the personal side of things, and when that happens, you know, that's when fists start flying but if you know how to um, bring yourself down as the person trolling the other people and you know, apologise when it's when it's needed I think that's definitely valued within team spaces unfortunately you have teams who have rogue individuals who do their own thing they're not about the team, they're just there to achieve their own agenda. And the same for the workplace. I see it time and time again. People aren't genuine in the workplace, not respected in the workplace, not seen as a trusted advisor or authority, not seen as a trusted colleague because they've done some dodgy things. So the same can be said for the team space. Within a team, there's trust, there's loyalty, there's respect. There's all those great things that you can easily transfer to the corporate world or the the workplace. And I think that's the beauty of our sport, rugby union and rugby league. Those are transferable qualities that are valued out there in the in the workplace. Hmm.
0: So you know, you and your um your your journey advocating um, sales hmm. and. You know, you're you're in you're in you're in the business sector, um, well, with marketing and all that. Now, how's that going now? How's that going now? Because the other times you've been on this podcast, like we've been talking about your <laughs> your your sales journey. Yeah, being, yeah. Being because uh, for me, like if if I need some advice, sales advice, you know, I always give you a text or yep. give give you a call because you wanted to be the the sales guy. Of, with a brown face that other yeah. brown faces can
1: re- relate to.
0: Yeah. So that was a couple of years ago. How's your journey going now?
1: Um, it's evolved, definitely. It's definitely evolved. Uh, a couple of years ago, I had some customers that I was dealing with that um, needed mentoring. They needed Their teams needed coaching. And... Although I was there to instill sales skills into them, they needed much more than that. And I found that um, it helped grow me as well. you You know how they say, iron sharpens iron. I felt like by dealing with these particular individuals, my iron was being sharpened as well. Because not only was I dealing with sales and the gaps in their knowledge in sales and using sales skills, I was helping them on other areas in their mentality, their mindset, helping them feel safe, helping them with, you know, determining, okay, my role, how much of my role has an impact on my identity. These are the kind of conversations I was having with these people. And because I was having those conversations, I I felt like, holy I'm growing as a trainer as well because I'm now not just dealing with the salesperson, I'm dealing with the human beyond the workplace because the human beyond the workplace needed fixing as well as the salesperson. And until we both had commitment to help with the human beyond the workplace, that's when the sales skills Became so much better, and then results came. So, you no, know, the business owners are happy because they're getting the results from these individuals. The individuals are happy because when they leave to go home, they're in much better headspace. So, these are the types of things that make me really proud about my journey in sales because not only not only am I training them how to learn better sales skills in the workplace or in the sales world, but I'm coaching them on how they can transfer certain sales um, techniques into their personal lives to help them in those moments when they're by by themselves as well. Because we all have those moments where we question things, we think, fire up, should I do this? Should I do that? Is this good for me or isn't it? Can I do it? why why wouldn't I do it? Nah, I shouldn't do it. We all have those you know those doubts in our minds that we listen to that you know was' called the inner critic. The inner critic can be detrimental to our mental health because it's the inner critic that is the reason why a lot of us who are going through certain things like anxiety and depression. the inner critic is that voice. That tells us we're not good enough, and until we figure out that we are good enough, we're going to keep listening to the inner critic. The inner critic's going to tell you, "No, nah, don't, don't go ahead with that business idea you just thought about." Do you nah, think that th- inner critic? Idea.
0: Do you think that inner critic is like a seed that was planted from an outside person sa- telling that to you in the in the past, and that sort of planted that inner critic seed inside you that sticks with you throughout your so throughout your life and that.
1: That's that's a good question, because in what I think the inner critic is, it's kind of similar to your instincts, when you're in moments, and you think to yourself, shall I listen to my gut instinct, or shall I just go with what this textbook has just told me? Listening more to your gut instinct is, is basically the universe's way of saying, Here's all these experiences that you've had in your life to this point. We're bringing all that data. We're bringing all that data to this moment. And we're telling you, by giving you that gut instinct, you need to go this way. Right? Because we've got the data to back it up. The universe is saying, you're past to this point. All the ups, all the downs, all the highs, all the lows... They have contributed to this moment where where your inner computer was saying to you, this is the way to go. Go that way. But you may be distracted or you may be listening to other voices saying, nah, don't do it. Go this way. So the inner critic is that voice that's saying, go the other way. Don't listen to your gut instinct. I think the inner critic is seeds of doubt. That we've had along the way, the inner critic is um, internal messaging that we've had from upbringing. So internal messaging could be we, we're finally remembering all those um, telling offs that we had growing up. Money doesn't grow on trees, you know. Just using money as an example. The the love of money, you know, is the root of all evil. Or you know you get people saying money's the root of all evil, but the love of money's the root of all of all evil. Which one's the correct one? So in your mind you're like, mm, I've always been told money's the root of all evil. It's actually the love of money that is the root of all evil. So, and you get people who say money can't make you happy, and yet others who got money they say yeah it can't make you happy, but it gives you choices, and it leads to happiness. So, the the instinctive part, I think, is your internal computer telling you, we're doing all the work for you, so you don't have to think in this moment. In this moment, we're just giving you a little nudge to say, we've done all the thinking for you, go this way. That's what I think the internal, you know, the instinct is, you know, that gut instinct. So,
0: that gut instinct, if I can relate it back to sports, is there yeah you know when Stephen Crowdon kicked that goal yeah. in the game that was the that was the instinct right there
1: and I think that the the other gut instinct in that moment was Chanel mm. Chanel Harris tavita he could have passed it to Milford faked him and went 20 meters the other way yeah right because Crichton, in interviews after has said. He, he told the boys, I'm ready, I'm here, I'm here. If you need me, I'll be over here. Because he could see that MILF was being rushed because yeah. they knew he was the guy that was going to take the droppy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was so glad when I saw uh, Chanel pass it to Stephen because Stephen was right in line, right? <laughs> it was a 40-meter kick, but he was right in line. Yeah. And obviously, he's done it before, so in in practice,
0: you know, how you're saying like <clears throat> that thing when you think to yourself, um, "Go the other direction." Don't listen to the inner critic. You know that term. That's a back. That's a, what what you describe how to de- defeat the inner inner critic is what people. That's the background. to What people say: about yourself." Hey, because when you're right, when you when you've got when you've done all the training, when you've done all the studying. You've yeah. Done everything <clears> in the background <throat> to lead you up to this moment, and then you decide I can't do it. Hey,
1: yeah. What do you mean can't <clears> do? You just did all the work. <laughs> so <clears> back yourself. That's another thing. The the inner critic and the seeds of doubt that we've picked up along the way is what leads to fear in the moment, the anxiety. Whereas, the confidence that comes from practice, consistent practice, and creating habits and making it second nature. When that moment comes, if that side is stronger where you've done all the practice and it's become second nature because you've done it many times before versus the inner critic trying to pull you down and say, no, 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 pass it, pass the ball, don't drop it, don't drop kick it. The inner critic has to be weaker than the practice that you put in. Otherwise, you will listen to the inner critic because you haven't done enough practice to give you enough confidence in the moment to go, no, I've got this. I've done this before. I know it works because I've done it before. So I've got that knowledge knowing. It's fine. Say, for instance, you are a lion tamer. You've tamed many lions and you've lived with lions and you work with them every day. And you've got someone who is having their first experience with those lions. They come in with fear. Whereas you, you've you've spent that time with the lions, right? You've You've got the knowledge, knowing I know exactly how to deal with the lions. This person who's seen lions for the first time and has come into that area where the lions are, they're shitting their pants because they don't have the knowledge. They don't have the experience or the confidence to say, I've got enough skill and knowledge to know how to deal with the lines same thing same thing you know familiarity if you get familiar with something you know it to a point where in a, in a in a moment in a big moment in a game or wherever it is you know how to deal with it that's why i always say with my training with my coaching and mentoring the power is in reinforcement because when you reinforce your knowledge and reinforcement is basically same as rugby you know practice on tuesday thursday saturday game keep doing that every week for however many weeks it becomes second nature because you practice so many different drills that can happen during a game you know when that moment comes in the game oh shit! yeah we did this in training We train for this rolling mall. We know exactly how to deal with it. So the powers and reinforcement, same as sales. Going back to your question, the the place that I'm at with my sales is I've got to a point where I'm still trying to learn if there's scenarios that I haven't come across yet in sales. Because I've heard all the excuses, I've heard all the objections I've heard all the types of answers that you can get from a customer and I've heard all the answers that a salesperson can give in different variations of it like using their own personality and own uh, verbiage to pitch or to ask questions or to gather information I'm still learning to see if there's other things or other situations that I haven't come across yet and that just comes from my, what, 20 years of experience now in various sales sales roles. Selling from business to consumer, business to business. There's so much that comes with that experience that I think to myself, here I am in 2022 as a salesperson. I'm a individual contributor with one company, and I'm... Uh, mentor and coach with another where am i at in my sales i guess career knowledge experience i feel like i've arrived as the person that i needed 20 years ago that person that i needed 20 years ago that i was looking for for a good decade i feel like i've become that person now and i just need to take it to the next level and create that next person um, through mentorship, through coaching, through training, through advocating. So I'm now advocating for the next generation to go. It's a career option. It's a viable career option, just like a career option in IT. It's a viable career option, but it's not talked about enough, especially amongst our, our people. We're always talking about go be that doctor, lawyer, accountant, or black, because you've got sporting talent. What else is there? There's IT. There's sales. Everyone needs some level of sales, whether it be basic or elite. There's some level of scales uh, sales that we need in in our interactions. Some level of negotiation. Like, for instance, if as soon as somebody says, I want, you're in a negotiation, whether you know it or not. As soon as 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 a kid says to their parent, I want, there's a negotiation going on. And the kid, depending on the parent, can win that by acting the way they do, throwing tantrums, right? If the parent is immune to that, the parent wins. If the parent knows what's going on, knows how to deal with it, the parent is using their skills to get past what's happening. So same with the sales world, I I feel like I'm I'm at that point now where I need to create the pathway for the next generation to come through. Because it's it's been done now.
0: You know with this day and age with um because you know when I think of sales, I think of the basic sort of sales profession like you're you're selling something to a, to a customer with technology evolving and changing and with what i'm hearing you with you talking about sales in everyday life you know that, that that is a skill that can be attached to any sort of sort of um future profession yeah no matter what it is, because it's the negotiation aspect that is the important thing with mm. with, with sales. It's not it doesn't have to be just selling a product to someone. Yeah, you know, it's it's closing a deal or or helping out or being a leader, helping up your, you know, helping up the company, or, or whatever it is. It like it. It's um information technology. It's solving problems through through technology, but but sales is like a face to face kind of thing. Mm. Like you're solving problems face to face. There's a problem. Let 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 us solve it. If we want to move on with us, let's move on. That kind of thing. So, uh, how in in terms of like the the changes, and and the work like with technology and that like, are you seeing a lot of Pacifica coming through, like choosing sales as a career option and and coming to you?
1: There is, there is. The answer to your question is there is a lot more Pacifica coming through. But they're coming through other avenues, other roles. So I'm, I'm seeing a lot of Pacifica coming through account management roles, which to a certain degree uses sales skills. And there's others who are advisors for insurance companies. You know, a lot of them probably don't think they're using sales skills but they have to as part of their role, especially in insurance. You're selling something to an intangible, which is something that a customer doesn't know they need until they need it. So you're selling futures, right? You're selling a future concept of uh, something I'm going to need when I die or when an accident happens or when something happens to my condition, and it hasn't happened yet. So because you're selling that concept, of insurance it's like okay that's sales right then you have you have account managers who upsell they get they get uh, allocated a portfolio of accounts that they work with who are existing customers they've already been sold something and account managers work within those accounts with you know the various stakeholders in those accounts Make sure everything's okay. And then once everything's okay, they can upsell them other products into the business. So there's sales there for sure. And a lot of, I'm seeing a lot of Basifika people getting into those roles. And I'm just not sure if they realize there are sales skills required. Um, a lot of them wing it, from what I've seen. So they kind of bluff their way through with, you know, jargon, with um, convincing, I call it convince mode. So there's a lot of people who go into convince mode. They feel the need to persuade a customer by listing the features, the advantages, and the benefits of their product that they're trying to induce, introduce to the company. When in actual fact, one, the prospect didn't ask, right? Right? They didn't ask. So you've got to help them find the problem first. There's got to be a problem. No problem, no sale. No pain, no sale. So if you find the problem or the pain, you've got to get the customer to admit there's a problem or there's pain or a challenge. Once they've admitted that there is a challenge that you know needs to be fixed, that's when you can progress the conversation to lead to whatever it is that you provide. So your product or service can be put to the side whilst you're having a conversation with the prospect because as a sales, pers- sales professional, your first goal should be, I need to figure out in a conversation with you, Cameron, if there's even a deal to be made, if there's even a conversation to be had. Until I figure out there is, I'm not gonna talk about my product because my product's not gonna work for you anyway, Mm. right? Unfortunately, even in 2022, you've got salespeople who lead with their product. Here's what my awesome Heineken can do for you, Mm. right? Can make you feel warm inside, make you feel happy. When in actual fact, they should be saying, they should be asking questions, you know? You look thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> what do you normally do in these thirsty situations? Right? Questions like that that lead to the Heineken. You don't lead with the Heineken. You lead to the Heineken with the questions. not Not necessarily in a manipulative way, but you're trying to find out, okay, is there even a deal to be made here? Mm. Are we in a conversation where you have a need for my product? If there isn't, let's cut it off so I can go and focus on the person that does need it. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, spend my time and resource on the person that does need it.
0: I like how you said that because you know my pet peeve going to like JB High Five and <laughs> all those kind of places. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm going in there to have a look, see what there is in terms of TVs and yeah. or whatever, you know. But I'm not going there to buy anything, you know. I just want to have a look. Mm. Then someone comes up to me and goes, "Oh, hi, sir. Do you need any help?" You no. Know, I said, no, right, I'm just looking, and then uh, and they'll just go. But the ones that stay and see what I'm looking at, oh, yeah, we've got some TVs, over blah, blah, blah. And they'll just, you know, like, Man, mm. I didn't even ask.
1: Yeah, yeah. See, the problem with those ones that stay, they don't ask the right questions, right? <laughs> like the, a first question, like uh, an icebreaker question that they could ask is, what, what's brought you into the store today? Right. right? That takes the focus away from do you need any help, blah, 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 that, yeah. that typical Bullshit first up question.
0: That's a nice alternative to do you need the help. Yeah. Because of course if I'm here looking, I don't yeah. need any help, I'm just looking. What's oh. brought you into
1: the slaughter? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's good. And, cool. and you could as a as a person who's been asked that question, you could use humour as your as your answer. Oh, I just thought I'd come use the toilet. <laughs> and then you can both have a laugh. Right? that breaks the ice. Yeah. And then you can get into, oh yeah. Is there anything in particular you need help with? That I can help with whilst I'm here? So as a, as a salesperson, that's what we miss out on. Those opportunities to establish ourselves as one. We're busy too. I know you're busy looking, you're shopping with your family and all that. I'm busy as well, but I'm willing to have a conversation with you if I can help you. If I can't help you, I'll leave you alone. But they have to establish that up front. And they can't just use age old, oh, how are you today? That's For me, that's a hate crime. H-A-Y-T, right? How are you today? Don't ever ask that. All those Noel Lemmings and Harvey Normans guys, they all use that. How are you today? Oh, where's this fake enthusiasm coming from? Are we mates? Do we know each other? <laughs>
0: that's, that's exactly the question right? I get Like when they
1: stay and talk. People do it in cold calls as well. It's like, no, yeah. well, do we know each other? <laughs> I always, always answer that with, sounds like you have somewhere you want to start because it, it kind of puts the salesperson at ease and i want to hear what the the reason why they're calling stuff the how are you today i don't answer the how are you today or how are you i go with, i go straight to sounds like there's somewhere you want to start and then they just go straight into their pitch yeah. so then i'm like i appreciate the fact that you've just come out with your pitch rather than all the bullshit small talk mm disingenuous you know you don't really care how i am don't ask me how i am if you don't really care (laughs) (laughs) i get that you're trying to get a gauge you're trying to get a sense for what i'm feeling at the moment as a prospect by saying how are you today another cool one that i've heard recently in the last couple of years is how have you been that's a good one that's a good one to use instead of how are you today because how are you today is overused how have you been is good because it kind of brings it down I will answer how have you been good you (laughs) good you you know that's typical small talk canned response good you canned response means as a salesperson you should be wary because if I'm giving you a canned response like good you you should be like oh okay that's a canned response they've heard it before
0: right oh okay they've
1: heard that question before How have you been? How are you? Um, And they just want to shut the conversation down by just keeping it short. So
0: So these are like red flags or signs, eh?
1: Oh, totally. Red flags. Those early stages of a conversation, (laughs) whether it be in person or on a call, they're a good judge for how the conversation's going to go, whether you should even waste your time talking further. If I hear a salesperson that is struggling... I want to help them out. And that's what I use in my cold calls. Yeah. You know? My cold calls always ask for help. as my first line. as my cold call. Hey Cam, it's just Joey. I was wondering if you could help me out for a moment. Then i wait. I'll wait for your response. I'll oh, wait 10 seconds if I have to. Yeah, yeah, sure. Go ahead, Joey. Well, I'm not actually sure you can help me, Cam. Or even if my company can help you. I was wondering if you're open to buying a case of Heineken. If Heineken was something that I was selling. I was wondering if you're open to talking about the type of beer you're into. See, you'll be more open to talking about the type of beer you're into because of the way I opened the call. I first said, it's just Joey here. So I kind of disarmed you a bit because I didn't come out with a, hey, how are you today? Oh, another sales call. I see. oh, it's just Joey here. Oh, Joey of Heineken.com. Mm-hmm. And then already you know who I am. You know where I'm from because I've made it clear. I said it really clearly. I didn't rush through it. So I've got confidence in my company because I didn't rush through it. I've got confidence in my name because I didn't rush to it. It's just Joey here of com. I'm wondering if you could help me out for a moment. The the way I asked that question, right? I added a pause in there, made it sound like I'm kind of struggling, and it wasn't a question I had ready on a script before I jumped on the call. Mm-hmm. Made it sound like I just came up with that question in the moment. And you're you listening to the question you should be going oh yeah, sure, go ahead. Right? Or something to that effect. You might you might say, Oh, what can I help you with? What's this about?
0: That's cool because that's because you know in uh say so if you relate that back to my experience at Naoliming or whatever, and the guy comes up to me, he's confident, because wouldn't you like any help but but you're coming in the direction where you need help. Yeah. yeah. You need to make a sale. Yeah. You you need yeah. help. So automatically we both need help. So how can we come to a...
1: So if I was a Harvey Norman guy approaching you. Yeah. Hello, sir. Or, you know, um, the typical Kiwi thing. How's it going? Right? Typical Kiwi way of saying hello. How's it going? Then just, oh. Well. What, um. See, I'm starting to struggle. What um, what brought you in today? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <coughs> right? Because the way I asked the question, you're going... You're bringing your, yourself down to the level yeah. of the customer. You're going, oh, he's not in any rush to sell me something. He's not trying to sell me a product. He's not trying to... So I'm stopping myself from being commoditized by you because I'm getting down to your level or, you know getting us on the same level and disarming you and i'm making you think oh shit this guy's not here to sell me anything he just wants to see if there's a conversation we could because mm. that just,
0: leads back to your thing where we have to find out if there's a problem first yeah and then let's solve it eh.
1: let's solve the problem once we find a problem together yeah, yeah. problem find then problem solve a lot of sales are told you've got to be a problem solver it's true absolutely If there isn't a problem to solve what are you what are you solving exactly so you've got to help the customer find the problem and you've got to help them come up with the data see there's different techniques and skills to be able to help them to do that they have to come up with the data they have to verbalize it because they need to hear it in their own ear that they said it not you the salesperson because typically salespeople we tend to like to talk about our product say oh it's got all these awesome benefits and advantages. And you should. And then we start using things like, you should buy it. You're going to love it. You know, making that assumption that they're going to love. You know, all you're doing is you're stomping on the other person's autonomy you're, to make a decision for themselves. You're saying, you should. Basically, I've made the decision for you. Right? And you hearing that, you think to yourself, oh, I'm being pressured into something here. You know? I'm being sold something that I didn't ask for. But if you were the one that said, you you know, you've got a problem, you've got a, a gap, you've got a challenge, you've got an issue, if if it came out of your mouth, whose, whose data are you going to believe first? Your data or mine? You're going to believe yours, <laughs> right? So that's why I try and get salespeople to do all the time. I get them to say, hey, look, you've got to ask questions that gets the prospect to come out with you know, what they want to share and unless you're asking good questions at the right time they're not going to want to share anything with you, they're just going to want to fob you off they get into the fight or flight mode, so there's fight flight or freeze
0: so explain those
1: so that's typically what happens when you feel sales pressure so let's say for instance you walked into a Harvey Normans you can see someone beelining for you right in the corner of your eye you can see someone beelining for you and you're you're bracing yourself right because you're like oh shit someone spotted me and they're coming to you know they're walking up to me and i can feel it i can feel it they're about to say something hello sir how are you today really enthusiastic enthusiastic voice it's fake enthusiasm uh fake care we ask how they were how they are and that immediately builds sales pressure because, and the walk builds sales pressure. So, you, in your mind, as a prospect, you saw the walk. Oh, yep. You heard the you heard the hello, sir. Oh, yep. How are you today? Oh, shit. Yep. Sales pressure. The wall's there now, right? They have to try and break through the wall now. It's the salesperson has got so much work to do to break through the wall. But first impression the last, right? And the way to do to To change that situation is by disarming the customer. You've got to disarm them up front because they've already got their own preconceived notions about what salespeople are going to do to them. And sales pressure, once it's built, it's hard to come back from as a salesperson unless you've got good skills, which if you've built it up front, the the sales pressure, you're not going to have... Chances are you're not going to have the skills.
0: So the way around that is to not do the walk, but just trying to... Not I mean, the eye walk. contact, the, yeah. don't make eye contact, just sort of. Yeah, just. Don't really <laughs> um, zero in on
1: them, eh? Yeah, don't be obvious. Yeah. Like walk up to them, but don't be obvious. <laughs> make it as if you're walking to someone else who's near them, but then. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So <laughs> I think uh, car salespeople, um, retailers, they all need to learn from. This one line, which is always be disarming. Always be disarming. Don't don't be fake. Like if you walk into a shopping mall and you walk into one of those stores, and you wait to be greeted or whatever. Listen to what the, what they say to you. And think to yourself, what could they have done better? Because the the canned response from a customer who walks into a, and they hear it hundred times a day. They hear the canned response, which is, Oh, not nah, just looking. How are you today? Oh, not nah, just looking. That wasn't the question I asked. Yeah, because you built sales pressure by asking me as soon as I walked into the, st- to the store, rather than coming up to me and talking to me like a person. You were pretending to hang up some pair of jeans and you were shouting at me from the other side of the room, the, the, the store. Of course, I'm going to say, Oh, not nah, just looking. I do want help. I came in for help. But I'm going to tell you, I'm just looking because that's the canned response that that triggered in me. So we trigger off prospects, canned responses with what we say. Cold call, in person, in a store, wherever. And too many people make that mistake. And they lose sales because of it. Because that upfront interaction was rubbish.
0: Even you know, Joey, like going back to your your mentoring, when you describe those those guys you were you you're mentoring and you brought identity into the the sales teaching. Yeah, How was that like a cultural thing? A, a cultural identity. How does that relate to? Was that something that's new that you've discovered? Nah. Or it's... something that that is it? Is that a reflection on 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 diversity in the workplace? how they're more likely to you know accept um you know
1: different cultures in the yep. corporate world and so um good question uh, what i mean by identity versus role so there's a rule attached to that your identity is not your role right and what i mean by that is too often we have people in the workplace who are so good at a role, they become so good at a role, they feel like that's part of who they are now. Because I'm this amazing, um, let's say example, chief executive officer. I'm an amazing chief executive officer. My company's doing so well. All my employees love me. So now they start to think, That's who I am. I'm chief executive officer. When in actual fact, they go home, right? So here's an example, they go home. Who's the boss? The wife. They're not the boss, they're the boss at work. So the identity part of it is, who are you when, when there's no work? Who are you to your loved ones? Right? Are you someone who can be loved unconditionally? Are you someone who loves themselves unconditionally? If you're someone who believes your role has something to do with your identity, it's because you don't love yourself unconditionally. It's because you now place that importance on that role as a CEO to say, yeah, that's me. I'm this head honcho CEO person. If you can separate the two, especially if you're in a sales role, if you can separate your identity from your role, That means people only get to see at work, the work you, right? They don't get to see the personal you. So there's a rule attached to that, which is what I learned from David Sandler, which is never expose your belly button. And it just means you only ever expose your belly button when you're at the beach with your family, your loved ones, or um, you're at home barbecuing or whatever. Only your loved ones get to see the real you, your real personality, outside of work. Whereas the work people, you put it on. You put on a show for them. You don't actually, but there are certain parts of your identity that you bring to work, that your your personality that you bring to work. You kind of give them a small snippet of what you're like as a, you know, your personality. But your role should never be considered because if I asked you right now, If I asked you right now, scale 1 to 10, how you would put yourself, where you sit on the scale 1 to ten, one being you're absolutely shit at your role, you should be fired, 10 being you're the man at your role, you should be promoted. If I asked you where you sat on that, where would you place yourself? 10. 10. See, that's a level of confidence that's come with years of skill and experience and and knowledge knowing that you are a 10, right? But if I asked you, and then if I asked you if scale one to 10 again, your identity, one being you're at the lowest point of your life and 10 being you're super confident, you're a great person and you're definitely going to heaven. Where would you put yourself on that scale? Six. (laughs) See? So, so, so So that to me indicates, right, that indicates to me that outside of work you feel different to the work person the work person is a 10 because you know that you you acquired that 10 that you gave yourself from the skills from the knowledge from the experience from your network and all, all the rest of it whereas because you place yourself at only a 6 in your identity means you feel there's room to make it to a 10 and there's a gap between the six and the 10. So it's just, I think it just means for me, when I hear, when I coach salespeople on those same two questions that I just asked you, and they give a lower score for the identity than the role, there's some work-ons that need to be done there. And the work-ons is basically just you. You giving your six is basically you telling me without saying the words that you feel unfulfilled. 10 is, unful- is fulfilled, right? At a 10. And and the thing is, we should always be at a 10. Both. For the identity. Not necessarily the role. Right. For the role, you can be any. It doesn't matter. Because it just means your skill level experience isn't there yet. That's fine. That can be worked on. But our identities should always be at a 10. The reason? There's no other chem in this world. There's no other camp in this world. Even if you were a twin, your twin can't be your ten, right? So.
0: So the only reason why it's a six and a ten, only reason why it's a ten, because yeah, I've been there for a long time, and I'm at sort of like the top of where Mm. I'm at. Mm. When I say six, um, my identity is the home life identity. Yeah,
1: the identity is the home life. How you feel about yourself.
0: Yeah, it's okay. I was a ten maybe five years or six years ago. Or you know, yeah. but now there's more goals. Yeah. I haven't reached. Awesome. So that's why it's come down to six. So now I've got. So yeah. so that's right, right? Yeah. W- what I said yeah.
1: is that you feel unfulfilled right now because you haven't reached those goals. And that's fine. It's just there is a risk if we place ourselves lower on that scale of identity scale. That the reasons you gave aren't there because there are people who are giving lower scores, but. Their reasons are, um, their reasons are they feel regret that certain things haven't been achieved, they feel regret that their life has turned to shit. But right? that's like a half
0: cup full way, yeah, thingy because they can feel that or feel like there's things to be made and they haven't gone there yet rather than a regret not doing so, that.
1: this one concept. About the identity versus the role has helped so many salespeople that I've worked with to realize actually my results or my performance outcomes they can be helped if I move up the scale especially the identity right because if I took all your roles away all your roles away as a husband, dad, uh, worker, all those brother, son. If I took all those roles away within Cam, right? And I left you on a desert island and you all you had was your identity, you'd have to be a 10. Because a lot of us we tend to think some of our roles in our life. Define who we are as a as our identity. Like um, sales my sales role. That's not who I am outside of work. Outside of work it's I'm a different totally different person. Sales is just something that I learned and got good at. But it's not necessarily who I am. It doesn't define me. So that's what that's the differentiation that people need to be aware of because a lot of them cross it over too much. You can bring certain parts of your personality to work to help with your work and to help get up the scale to a 10 to where you are. But, there's a big but, in terms of your identity, it's got to be, okay, here's the reasons why I'm not at a 10 and what am I going to do to get to a 10? It's way more powerful than the role. The role is the role. The role is like, you can be replaced, right? Your boss will replace you. And you'll be missed for a little while, but the real you, if you were to die, right, you can't be replaced. Everyone who loves you will miss you. Whereas your role, if you left the workplace, within a week, your job ad will be up for that that role. Can not see where I'm getting it? Yeah, because I
0: think I think it's it might be even different now because in terms of like um, replacing workers, like especially after 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 COVID, the our industry has been a mess with with people working and stuff because there's two problems now. One, there's no one experienced to be hired out there, and two, you're stuck with the people you got, and when they when they leave or get another job somewhere because someone's headhunted them and offer more money, mm. then you're then you're screwed. Yeah. You can't get anyone else. And that's the problem we're having now, now in the industry after covid. So right. Yeah. So So what was my point of that. <laughs> I forgot what my point was but Yeah, it's uh it's all sort of like um the market is weird right now.
1: Mm. it is
0: But uh, you, know, you know when I was talking about like, so it's got nothing to do with like like cultural identity. No. It's the identity of no. yourself at home and yeah. yourself at work. Because I know when it, when because it, you made me think about my my 10. And the reason why it's different, because you don't have to bring your identity into, into my work because there's a process there. Mm. And if you stick to the process, all it's about is using the process to get the job done. Yeah. That's what the company cares about, just yeah. get the job done. Yeah. And you don't need to have a yeah. personality to do that. Yeah. I mean, you you can to help things, yeah. you know, make things fun or, 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 or anything, or build relationships. But I, I think my role in the company is, I'm just like a, a worker kind of role. Whereas the boss is the guy that talks to the clients and gets all the jobs and all that stuff and just filters it down to us and we just get the job done.
1: So you're an individual contributor.
0: Yeah, but I'm the only one. That, the job that that does the job. Oh yeah. So I can't really. I can't, if I leave, then it'll be hard to oh, get someone else. Sort of like. True. Yeah, but I've been there for a long time. Almost 15 years. So I'm more more than 15 years. Yeah.
1: Got shares in the business. No. Uh, no. Is there an opportunity for
0: that? Uh, there's pathways to it. I think you've got to get the that's another to, uh, thing as
1: well that's another thing that I've encouraged uh Pacifica people who get into jobs always find out like uh, one way to be in good stead with your boss or the owner of the business is by saying it up front and early in the piece it could be in the interview could be in your first week on the job set setting time aside with the the owner of the business and saying hey look Um, without saying the words I see myself being here long term asking a question like are there any opportunities for say um, shares for employees what that immediately does to the owner of the business or the leader it makes him think oh shit this person wants to invest in the business therefore in my mind as the leader or the owner of the business, I'm thinking they see themselves here long term. And in order for them to see themselves here long term, they think they're going to be successful in the role. And if they're thinking they're going to be successful in the role, I need to pick up my game and support them as much as they can to be successful in the role. So it's a two, it's a, it's a win-win thing that you've just created with that one question. And if the... And now the, the leader, who may not have been open until before because they didn't nev- never thought of it, they might think, oh shit, I should open up shares to the employees because it'll bring everything up. They'll be so invested in the business that they only want success for it. So that's one, one tip that I can give to anyone who starts in the company for... Um, or who's just started with a business or was looking to jump into a partnership with someone else always yeah. ask that question
0: and that's something you're passionate about too eh? um, empowering our people to like um, do well in, in the corporate world and, yeah. and climb the ladder yeah so it's so because i've seen some posts you've done on twitter about that um forwarding or, or retweeting advice yeah. about talking to your employer how yeah. to get a raise yeah you know, how to get in that position where you can do that, be in a, a position in your, how can you work towards being in a position in your company where you you call the shots because yeah. if you leave, then they're screwed. Exactly. So you can ask for a raise or, you know, if you're being, you know, that kind of stuff. So you're, you're real passionate about that,
1: aren't you? Absolutely. So for me, the reason being is because until we get to a point where we can own our own thing, I want us to own a part of the thing that we're a part of. So the company that we work for, why not own a part of it? Why not strive towards owning a piece of that pie and being seen as a part owner? Because time and time again we're seen as workers and we're more than happy to just be the worker and cash our cheque at the end of it and pay our bills. But if we're truly invested by having a piece in that business that we're working for, it's going to be a win for everyone. Long-term for the kids, whatever, next generation. Um, And this just comes through my own experience of seeing people leaving money on the table, leaving situations where they could have got so much from it. And it's there. These opportunities are there. We just don't know about it. And we don't have enough people sharing the knowledge. Here's an opportunity to own shares in the business. Here's an opportunity to negotiate higher salary upfront when you first come on board you have you have the i guess the position of power when you're an employee who's just been hired or they're looking to hire you right they've sent you a contract unfortunately for our people we look at we, we 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 know that the salary is going to be this much and we think to ourselves oh fuck, we've never had that before Right, never had that level salary before, and they get so excited. They just want to sign the contract before you know. Before it turns into Cinderella's bloody pumpkin shoes. But what we don't realize is there are more things we can ask for, in, in that moment, we just need to go through the contract and go: Am I going to be happy with all of these, all these perks, and all the rest of these benefits? Is there anything missing, benefit wise? perks-wise? And is that the top dollar that I could get? Will I be looking too greedy if I go and ask for more? And if I do ask for more, how can I justify it? How can I answer the question, why should I give you more? Right? I need to be prepared. So I need to read through the contract or get someone legal to read through it and bring up any discrepancies there might be. If there's anything missing that is typical of what others would get, throw it in there, hey, look, happy to sign it once I see better health benefit, benefits or you know this, that and the other. Another thing that I encourage people to do when they're in the workplace, find out what your peers are earning. Make it normal to talk about salaries. That's the only way you're going to fill that equity gap, that pay equity gap as well. Especially the women. The women need to find out what the men are earning. And then build a business case, take it to the leaders, take it to the powers that be. Ask for equal pay because you're doing the same job as the other person. That's but there are certain instances where that doesn't work. But if you're in a in a in a typical job, ask your peers, hey, what are you guys on?
0: Oh I've, true. I've heard the arguments against the equal pay of um of gender, especially the yeah, yeah, women's Yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah. I've heard as well from uh, my mate Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My mate Jordan Peterson.
0: His his views make sense. But then it's a, it comes down to a choice of woman, you know. Did they did they really want to have a career um career-filled life where you got no time to have kids? Mm. And you know, look after your kids and that like I don't know what the stats are of the, the women CEOs in the world. Mm. There there are some eh, like I think Coca Cola or, or Pepsi or something. It's a woman CEO. I think. <coughs> but um but their life's just hectic, eh? Like twenty four seven, no time for family and like that that's a man's kind of a man can get away with that. Yeah. But uh, yeah. A, a woman needs I don't know, it's it comes from the Bible anyway. yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's all in the Bible. But do you believe you believe in that transparency, the page transparency thing? Because that that will get over the oh totally, you know,
1: like it, when a, when an employer knows that the employees know about each other's pay,
0: mm. they're stuck. Yeah,
1: <laughs> they have no choice but to equal the pay to the highest person that's being paid, unless that highest person has a different skill set that is required for their particular role, mm. and that's different.
0: Mm. 'Cause you said in, in sports eh, and especially American sports they have transparency of mm. their pay. New Zealand rugby don't they?
1: Nah, they t- they tend to not uh publish that kind of stuff.
0: But in a row do they're they're transparent of mm. their pay. Mm.
1: They have to be since the salary caps keep getting broken.
0: Oh yeah, right. 'Cause we don't have yeah, we don't have money. Nah. Wow. Hmm. <laughs>
1: How are we doing for the time? It's just past twelve. Is that us? Yep, that's us. So wrap it
0: up. So big night for you. Yeah. Gonna gonna wake up for the game then tomorrow?
1: Yes. <laughs> oh for sure. I'll be all over the place. I'll be just wasting petrol going from one place to the other. <laughs> Celebrating with flags and everything.
0: So I, I think everyone's forgotten, Manu Samoa is actually playing tomorrow too, against Romania. Oh shucks, Three they five. beat Georgia
1: last week. Yeah, they beat Georgia. That didn't get enough press I don't think. Well done to Saylala and all the boys and all the management staff.
0: Yeah, so 3.30am before the tour game, they'll be playing.
1: I know the past games against Georgia have been quite tough for Manu Samoa, so well done on that one. Mm. Some confidence going into the Romania game.
0: Yeah. So gonna, oh, before we go, I'll put this post on the Westminster Network uh Instagram page. What do you think is the greatest you got two choices. The greatest sports <laughs> sports event in Samoas history. Whew. David Tour Linux Lewis. Shit. Or tour Sam Kangaroos.
1: If the outcome is on our side of it. Um that's a tough one. But they're both big events, eh? Um I think Oh well, I think for me, like at the time, I would have easily told you David Tour versus Lennox looks. But because we're in 2022 and the magnitude of what this kind of result can do for the next generation of kids who look to Samoa as a viable choice for their national honours, I, I I would have to say Tuasa Samoa beating Australia would be more important than David Torr beating Lennox Soares back then. Mm. Um, obviously for the sport of boxing, that would have been great for the sport of boxing, but I think this, in terms of reach, Torso Moore's outcome against Australia would have far more reach to to school kids who, or, or the next generation of kids coming through who may have only ever seen Australia or New Zealand as the options to, to play. Whereas now, thanks to Tonga, thanks to Jason Talmalolo and Andrew Fafita, and the likes, um, Samoa has got to this point where the stars have all come back to help out, to chip in, to play for their heritage, whatever reasons they gave and now we're in a position to win the World Cup, you know, and create history again. I mean, we've really created history to this point. But to create history again, not just on behalf of Samoa, but all the Pacific Islands, because we represent all Pacifica. So that would be great. Um, and just thinking about it makes me think, Farrell, what an impact that would have getting the W over Australia this weekend. So, yeah, with that, my answer would be Tours Samoa getting the W. Yeah. If
0: I think about it now, because I chose the, the David Tua fight
1: because
0: I compared boxing, the sport of boxing, especially heavyweight boxing compared to rugby league around yeah. the world. Boxing is the biggest sport. Yeah. But then, you know, when you think about the impact, sure, David Tua had big impact for us. But there weren't any parades or anything mm. like that. But that, that was a different time, too, because there was no internet, really, that time. Mm. Social media has sort of exploded, but...
1: There was parades in front of Tour's house. Oh, yeah. <laughs> around the time, and we had a long, like, I was part of the parade that they had, where mm. they walked on the roads of Day. Oh, yeah. Which was cool. But just, even that, like, it's only small compared to the parades that you've seen yeah. so far. Yeah. And we haven't even won the final. Mm. Yeah, Imagine that's Imagine right. winning the final.
0: Oh, it will be or will overtake uh, yeah. the David Tor Lennox loss
1: so by far I think I just um, I think even even if Tor lose this final the kids are now already looking shit I want to be part of Toa Samoa
2: because
1: mm. my heroes have played for them look Luai and Tor and Junior Polo and all the rest it's like far out that's awesome Swali man that guy's a talent <laughs> so glad he chose to play for Samoa <laughs> and he's tall yeah
0: he's only 19 so man I think the, the Roosters are going to have a dilemma next next season who's going to be their fullback they got three good choices right there I think um, Joey Manu won the won one of the awards eh mm. player awards who's
1: coaching the Roosters next year
0: I don't know
1: I think it'll come down to the personal preference of the coach and whether he wants a young star up and coming star taking you know the fullback spot as a i guess a note for the future and just moving teddy to the side to one of the other positions because you can't not have him on the field i think um i'd love to see swali fullback instead of teddy teddy's done his bit there (coughs) should probably look at moving on Mainly, maybe. Yeah, hope
0: so. <laughs> Sorry, so, man. Thanks for coming on board. Yep, back on rugby five, man. Um, you know, more than welcome to join us. Uh, watching the game tomorrow morning, and I'll crack open the champagne. <laughs> Buy the champagne. I got the champagnes ready for champagne breakfast.
1: Sweet. Nice one. Thanks for having me, man. All right, Bye. go to the tour. Why the tour?